in 86. And M. Martin wrote the first book of what became a cult. Now it's time for Babysitter's Club Club. Hi, hi. Baby Nation. And welcome. No, you don't like it? I mean, he's fine, but like someone else is here too. Oh, sorry. Hi, hi, baby nation and Tanner. Thank you. Hi. And Jenkins, my cat. Yep. And Princess, cutie face, my cat, who's staring balefully at me right now. (laughs) And welcome to all of you and all of your cats to the Babysitter's Club Club, a podcast in which I, Jack Shepard, and I, Tanner Greenring, discuss the classic American novels by American hero. And Matthews Martin about babysitters. This week we are talking about book number seventeen. This book was called Marianne's Bad Luck Mystery. Mm-hmm. It's a Marianne Spear point of view. Yep. Which, goddamn, it was good to be back to core babysitter. Yeah, man. And this was a good book. This book was lit as fire. Yeah. This this book was lit af. I sent you a message earlier today. Yeah. I said, looking forward to tonight's record. This book was, and then I did that little fire emoji. Did you? Yeah. You You texted me? Oh. What did I say? Uh, Yeah, good one or something. Yeah, that sounds like like non-committal. Yeah. Yeah, something like old man-ish, like, oh, great. Yeah, the book, I hope the book wasn't so fire. You barely knew what I was talking about. (laughs) Like a message popped up on your computer. You're like, oh, what is this? Siri? (laughs) What a good book we read this week. So before we before we get down to brass tacks, I just want to say, first and foremost, last week we complained a little bit. We were complaining to each other that it kind of feels like the babysitters have stopped almost liking each other. Yeah. Where, like, in the early days it was there would be some adversity would come to Stony Brook and the babysitters would band together mm-hmm. and and solve the problem by, like, pooling their resources. Right, we're and, talking about the good old days when there was a phantom phone caller menacing yeah. Stony Brook, Connecticut. Yeah. Which happened... Exactly, exactly. One, one year, year ago, ago today. Yeah, and this is something that I, I do want to get into is the is the the very very intricate intertextuality between this novel and Claudia and the Phantom Phone Calls. Mm-hmm. The two books speak to each other in a lot of different ways that I think really adds a lot of value to this book. And one of the ways that they speak to each other that's so fantastic is that it really is about all of the babysitters coming together. You see all of their different points of view. They're working together. They don't hate each other. They're fighting against a common common enemy a terrifying common enemy mm-hmm. um and it's their friendship that ultimately will be the test of whether they prevail or not cool was that your recap no it sounded an awful lot like a recap no that was just me talking uh what i'm gonna do i guess since you've introduced it is our fan favorite little segment uh to introduce the podcast where i'm gonna give a very short one sentence recap of mm-hmm. this novel and then I'm going to put 60 seconds on the timer and have you, Me, Tanner, Tanner. Uh, fill in all the gaps, fill in all the little details. Yeah, man. I got a lot of notes this week that I can kind of glean off of. So I think I feel like there's usually a little tension between us when we do this. You, I, I read my recap and then you don't like it. Uh, yeah. I think you're going to agree with this one. Okay. The quiet, unremarkable life of 13-year-old Marianne Spear is turned upside down when she receives a sinister letter in the mail that promises her a terrible fate. 
From that moment on, things start to go horribly wrong in her life, threatening her friendships, her relationship with her boyfriend, and her very understanding of what is and isn't real. As Marianne digs deeper into this terrifying mystery, she is pulled irrevocably into a supernatural web of evil, deceit, and otherworldly horror. It won't be long before she learns that some mysteries might be better left unsolved. Marianne's Bad Luck Mystery. Yeah. What do you think? Pretty right good. on? Yeah. See? I mean, you missed a lot. You missed the um, culmination of the supreme war between the ghosts and the witches, which yeah. happened in this book. Whew. You missed Claudia turning into a doll. You missed... Um, oh, I think I missed that entirely. The big reveal that Logan is definitely... If not a demon, well, at least affiliated with a demon. I caught that in my notes, and that's something I'm very excited to talk about. Oh, boy. And before we get to your 60-second se- segment, I am so pleased. After Logan was tantalizingly introduced in book 10 just like swept onto the scene in book 10 with his slick louisville accent and his weird devotion to satanic rituals and then just nothing we get five or six books with nothing and then he's back in a big way this time but let's hear this book was a greatest hits it had everything yeah it had everything we've touched on in the past 17 books and matthews martin just brought it all home to roost she brought it it's such a winner it's and i think i know why Why? I'll tell you. Okay. I'm going to put 60 seconds on this timer. When I hit start, you begin to fill in all the details of what happened in this book. When I hit stop, you stop. Ready? Yes. Let's go now. Marianne gets a chain letter. It says, share this with 20 of your friends or you'll die. No, you'll have bad luck. She throws it away. Everyone starts having bad luck. Um, They babysit for Jamie Rodowski. He's a mess. Nope. Jackie Rodowski. He's a mess. Everyone is kind of not having a very good week. Um, a package comes in the mail. It's a charm. It's a, a seed of some sort, a necklace. And there's a note with cutout letters that says, this is a bad luck charm. Wear it or you'll die. Uh, and then she does, and everyone keeps having bad luck. And then um, they get another letter in the mail that says, go to Old Hickory's gravestone on Halloween night at midnight under the full moon or you'll die. And then they start to put the pieces together and realize that it's two mean girls who are pulling a prank on them because they're jealous that Logan spends too much time with them. There's a war happening, brewing in the background, um, that goes kind of sort of only mentioned in passing between the witches and the ghosts, and um, Claudia is turning into a living doll. Wow. That's a lot in one minute. Well done. Um, what do you want to dive into first? I just it's- really, really quickly yeah. want to dip into our new segment. Mm-hmm. The Eternal Sadness of Claudia. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. The, yeah, The Eternal Sadness of Claudia. Uh, for new listeners, for new members of Baby Nation, we have talked a lot. Ever since Stacy left, right. Claudia has become the shell of a human being. She's just... She is just Literally, this... because I have a new theory this week. Okay. Ever since Ashley Wyeth, the mm-hmm. living doll, mm-hmm. came to take Stacy's place and tried to infect Claudia and bring her to into her sort of like harem of living dolls. In book 12, Claudia and the New Girl. Yeah. Claudia has been bummed. Mm-hmm. But ever since then, and this is a theory I want to flow your way and see if it holds any water. Generally, the second chapter of all these books, the lead character does a recap for the reader and says who all of the babysitters are. Mm-hmm. What the babysitters club is. Yep. Kind of broad strokes. Mm-hmm. And in 18 of 18 books we've read so far. Yep. Claudia is described as exotic, cool dresser, black hair, um, 
artist, artistic. Artistic. Mm-hmm. Those are always the kind of four things that are said yep. about her. Yep. Since the Ashley Wyeth book, there's been a new descriptor, mm-hmm. and it keeps coming up over and over again, and they keep paying more and more attention to it, and it's that she has perfect complexion. Oh, wow. It like... keeps coming up like some kind of porcelain doll. Wow. And I'm I'm concerned that mm-hmm. this melancholy we're reading from Claudia now mm-hmm. is a symptom of the fact that she may be slowly transforming into one of the, the living dolls. That control everything that's going on in Stony Brook. If you listen to previous episodes, Baby Nation, you'll know that this is no light point that we make. This is not a point that we make lightly. This is a point that is substantiated time and time again in the text. Right. And then there's also this new feature of the books. This is now the second week in a row where they have these handwritten sort of like pages out of the the, the babysitter's diary. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the baby, it's kind of like a brief, like two two paragraph recap of like a, a, a babysitting job that someone went on. And for the second week in a row, Claudia's entries into this book the spelling has been so abysmally bad that it makes me worry about Claudia. Mm-hmm. And I think this is also a symptom of the fact that she's turning into a, a living doll. Just like her little hands are cramping up. Yeah. Because they're like she's fingers losing are stuck control. together. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, it, and it fits. This book is so, it's just so focused on the occult. It's got everything. It's got ghosts. Mm-hmm. It's got an evil, sinister force that we that is hinted at, but never resolved. Right. Like who or what it is. Though I think you and I probably both have some strong theories. Yeah. Um, let's let's maybe dive into uh, how that all begins. Marianne gets a letter in the mail, a chain letter that says, "Share this. Send this along to twenty of your friends, or you will have bad luck." Yeah. With this letter, you don't get anything for not breaking the chain except good luck. But if you do break the chain, bad luck will be visited upon you. The recipient of this letter and your friends and loved ones, harm will come your way. And this letter, mind you, is written with the like cut-out letters from magazines, so it's super fucking creepy. Uh-huh. Marianne brings that letter to the Babysitter's Club, and they have like a big debate about whether or not they should send the chain letter. They decide not to. The next thing that happens is Marianne gets this like creepy necklace in the mail. Yeah, that, with, a, with an, another note. that has a seat in it. It has another note that's also written with magazine cut-out letters that says, this is a bad luck charm. It will bring you bad luck. You have to wear this bad luck charm or, like, even worse shit will happen. You'll fucking die. Right. Or uh, or maybe all the junk food will disappear. Yeah, there's – Claudia seems to be worried about That's that. That's what Claudia's concern is. Yeah, which is weird for a doll. Though maybe she's she's speculating about how she no longer I don't think she's fully in, like, a digestive system. sort of figured out that it's happening to her yet. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Claudia's just – she's, like – She's empty. She's just waking up every day, like, stiff, and her skin is becoming, like, more and more, like, glossy. Her face is becoming, like, clearer and clearer in complexion. Yeah. Sad. But, you know, like, I do think that that Claudia, a little bit in this book, starts to work with, at least is working with the other babysitters to try to resolve this, which is nice, which is a positive sign. And you know what else is, like, what Claudia wears every week? Yeah. It's, like, out of fucking control this week. Yeah, she's. It seemed pretty crazy. It seems like like it's, following wore, on from your theory. It's like it's like off the. It's like slightly off the deep end. You know, it's like the eternal sadness of Claudia is translated into like like normally she just like wears cool, colorful shit, and it's like oh that's trendy. But this week to me it was like 
are you okay, Claudia? I think she's losing control of her of her body. Yeah. Like she can't at one point her hair is being described as like half done. Yeah. Like half of it is up in a ponytail and the other half is like Yeah. Pushed down I got, in front of me, her face. Let me let me tell the baby nation what Claudia wore this week. So you baby bees, baby girls. Claudia wore this week. Hang on, we gotta come up with a cool name for it. Oh no no, I've got it. Claudia's closet. Yeah, good. Closety no Claudia's no Claudia's closet. Claudia. All right. I'll 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 figure out some theme music for that in post. Or you will. Claudia's closet. Claudia's Listen, this week on Claudia's Closet. What Claudia wore was her vegetable blouse, an oversized white shirt with a green vegetable print all over it, cabbages and squashes and turnips and stuff. Under the blouse was a very short jean skirt, white stockings, green anklets over the stockings, and lavender sneakers, the kind boys usually wear with a lot of rubber and big laces and the name of the manufacturer in huge letters on the sides. Wait, I'm not done. Claudia had pulled the hair on one side of her head back with a yellow clip that looked like a poodle. The hair on the other side of her head was hanging in her face. Attached to the one ear you could see was a plastic earring about the size of a jar lid. Yeah. That, <laughs> like, like, no one's raising their hand for that. No. <laughs> what the fuck are you wearing, Claudia? And it seems like Claudia is losing control, man. She's, she's out of she's her mind. She's deteriorating into this this being other than human. Yeah. Anyway, that's Claudia's closet. That was Claudia's closet. God damn, that was a good new segment. Let's see. What do you want to What do you want to talk about next? There's so much. There, like Logan's back. Oh, Logan's back. Logan is so back, and it, Logan's role in this is so interesting. He like I feel like at some at, t- at times he's suspected of being the perpetrator of the bad luck charm. Yeah, you kind of want you kind of want Anna Martin kind of wants you to think that. Yeah, but it's not him. It's these two girls at school called Grace and Koki, is that Koki. right? Koki, yeah, Koki. Grace and Koki who are jealous. Right. Um but the thing like the the thing that is really important here in this book and this is where there's some intertextuality with Claudia and the phantom phone calls is that Grace and Koki were the people who sent the bad luck charm, right? And they were trying, and then the, and then like the, the they send a final letter where they're like, "Meet us in by old Hickory's grave at midnight on Halloween," right? Um, and the babysitters are like super fucking freaked out. They bravely come together and agree that they're going to do it. And then at the last minute, Marianne realizes because of a, a hint that Koki had dropped at school that it's actually probably Grace and Koki who are setting this thing up and they're going to try to spook them right. at the graveyard. Yep. And so the babysitters do an awesome like reverse spook, which is cool. Like they show up in ghost costumes and masks and like freak desecrate the, a grave, desecrate a grave and like freak out. Like it's intense. Yeah. Like they cir- they all wear these masks and circle Grace and Koki like chanting at them. Yeah, it sounded fucking terrifying, it's, man. Like, yeah, it was brutal. Yeah, one of them is described as standing there, stiff as a board, just muttering under her breath, "Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God." Yeah, like yeah. they're they're utterly horrified. Yeah, it's midnight on Halloween, right? It's and you're attacked by like goblins and yeah. ghosts. Yeah, it's fucking awful. They're wearing these crazy masks. Like even Marianne was scared, and she was in on the ploy. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's not good stuff. But arguably, these girls deserved it because they were kind of planning on doing the same thing. Oh, um, you know who was there in the background orchestrating the whole thing quietly from behind a bush? Logan Bruno. Logan Bruno, snake in the grass. Snake in the grass. Um, I've got some quotes from Logan that I want to read just because I want to. I want to talk like Logan. Here's 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 the hint that um, that Dawn thinks it's Logan. She says, "I was so surprised when Logan showed up." <laughs> I know this is really awful, Marianne, and I'm sorry, but when I first saw him, I thought, just for a split second, that he was in on whatever Koki and Grace were up to. And then Logan cuts in, big fucking grin on his face. Oh, I don't know. I was eating this nice, pleasant dinner tonight when the phone rang. This voice told me to go to some grave in the cemetery at midnight tonight (laughs) if I wanted to see something really amazing. Well, I'm curious, and I like a little adventure, so I decided to go. He's got this like like weird like affect where he's just like, oh, little old me just from crazy Louisiana. I don't yeah. even know what's going on. And right. Here, here I show up at the graveyard just surprised as anyone. And like to double down on, I think, where you're headed, Grace and Cokie's reason for doing all this was so shaky. Yeah. It was just like, oh, um, we just didn't like how much time Logan was spending with, with you guys. Marianne. Yeah. But, and here's the the real point that hammers this home. The chain letter that is sent to Marianne that promises her bad luck in the first place, if she breaks the chain, is never explained. Right. They determine beyond doubt that Grace and Cokie were not behind the chain letter. And this is a book that is in many ways about fate and causality and fortune and how fate affects us and how we think about fate and how faith affects us Uh and the fatalistic letter that sets all of this in motion is unexplained and this letter which promises bad luck means that koki and grace are just part of the bad luck right that's happening but there's still there's still an instigator there's an instigator someone who started all this right and it's obvious who it is yeah there are constant constant clues about who it is yeah when the letter comes to them they you know they throw it away thinking it's nothing but then they have bad luck visited upon them and all of their family members and friends yeah so they decide to do some research into the occult into spells into bad luck and they keep saying like oh we're all in this together we're all in this together we all have to kind of look into this together we all have to protect one another and it comes up not once but twice where they sort of get into something they're like talking about what this could mean like what's causing all this and logan bruno just sort of like quietly excuses himself oh constantly at one point christy says remember she said we have to ward off the evil forces how claudia demanded to know not one of us had an answer especially not logan who was looking at all of us as if we were crazy like he he kind of excuses himself in that situation. He's just like playing it off like, Oh, you know, you you crazy gals and your and your witchcraft and your and your bad luck fortunes and your spells. Right. Um and then later on they all decide to go to the library together to ch- check out a bunch of books on witchcraft mm-hmm. and do some research. And Logan, once again, I invited Logan to join us, but he said he wouldn't be able to go. I guess the thought of being with six girls who were doing research on witchcraft was just too much for him. Yep. I wrote that exact quote down. That's what I was just looking for. Yeah. He, like, conveniently, he's perfectly happy to hang out with them every lunch break. Right. As soon as they start 
delving into witchcraft, he's like, "Oh, uh, so I'm sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. I gotta, I gotta get home to my mom." He also politely excuses himself from the midnight Halloween cemetery visit. Yeah, but somehow still ends up there. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so yeah, it's 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 astounding. And the one of the books that they get out on witchcraft is it's called On Witchcraft. Uh-huh. I looked it up. It's surprising to me that this book is in Stony Brook Library. On Witchcraft is a book written in 1692 by a guy called Cotton Mather. Uh-huh. It's a theologian's book that provides readers with uh, guidelines for discovering witches and explains the devil's predicament in dealing with Christianity. That's like some intense, like to have it like Sounds a like 17th century book written by like a crazy Puritan who is like hunting witches. Yeah. Like that's that's just sitting in the Stony Brook library. First of all, that book's probably worth a lot of money. Right. You know, you're not going to have like kids having their little grubby little hands. I mean, hands this is on Stony Brook, it. Connecticut. This is a place that was probably the epicenter of the occult and yeah. witch hunting back in the kind of pre-colonial days when the first English citizens were arriving on American shores. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. I there's so much in like no, normally we we talk about the occult in these books as kind of like something that sort of happens in the background of the regular plot, but this is what this book is about. This right. book is about they're dealing with dark forces in Stony Brook. There's no question about that. Um, one of the things that really stuck out to me were the like the dreams and omens that uh-huh. are all over this book. Let's talk about it because I was just quietly doing everyone's favorite segment, Tanner Google something. Oh wow! While you were talking, yeah, and I got an omen. There's something I picked up on and meant to research, and I just did some brief research. Well, let, let me see if it's the same thing that I picked up on. Okay. I the, the a bird is traditionally an omen. Yep. Like same if, thing. if if you see a bird, it's an omen. Uh-huh. And it, this is pitched as part of like it's like the escalation, right? Marianne gets this chain letter that says like you're gonna have bad luck if you break the chain, and she starts having little bits of bad luck. Like she like forgets her homework, and like she's late to a meeting, and like she like trips on her way to school, and then the bad luck escalates. And one of the pieces of bad luck is she's babysitting for the Pikes. And a little sparrow flies into the house. Through the chimney, yeah. Through the chimney. And something that I looked up about birds, I just looked up like omens, birds in the house. Yeah. Uh, And I got to this page that just said, it had one line. It said, a bird in the house signifies death. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. What did you you come up with? Well, I've got sparrows. Yeah. And their importance in witchcraft. Yeah. Um, They're a symbol of peasants. And common people, and therefore dignity and self-worth. Wow. They're also seen as symbols of triumph against all odds. Oh, okay. So, is there more? Because, like, That's this is... Much it. I think, that, like, what's interesting to me about that is that, like, this book, which seems so dark, it seems like the Babysitter's Club is losing against these dark forces. There is this, like, there's this line of hopefulness in it that I think is, like, like the juxtaposition between, like, the vicissitudes of fate and, like, how they are just predetermined to end up, like, being the victims of these dark forces and, like, there's nothing they can do about it. They broke the chain and, like, fate has been set in motion. Yeah. And then on the other side is faith, right? Is there is that through faith they may be saved. Yeah. There is a chance that they'll be saved. There is this theme of faith that runs through it. And it's represented in particular by – so the bad luck charm that Grace and Koki right. – Send to Marianne is just something that must have found at the thrift store. Right. But it's this necklace that has a mustard seed in it. And Mr. Spear, who makes an appearance, uh, is like, oh, that's a mustard seed. That's a symbol of faith. And the parable of the mustard seed 
as you know. Oh God, sure. Um, <laughs> how am I gonna how can I forget the parable of the mustard seed? Yeah, Matthew thirteen thirty one to thirty two. I'll read it real quick. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. So that's what you were talking about with the, this sparrow, which can symbolize witchcraft, which can symbolize death, mm-hmm. can also symbolize triumph. Yeah. If you have faith. Yeah. Um, I and think I, these girls have divine protection. I, it's it's tight, right? Like they got to put their faith in this thin strand, in this tiny little thing. Right. This tiny little thing. It's a mustard seed. It's like you could drop it and you wouldn't even notice. Right. But that mustard seed is going to grow into a tree. They have this mustard seed to protect them. They have the sparrow yeah. who came to offer some kind of protection right. against these forces. Well, and if you think if you think about the sparrow as being a protective force, this kind of p- plays into something that I wrote down. Last last time we talked a little bit about Margot Pike. Yeah. Who it's kind of unclear what's going on with her, but but we had a theory from the last book based on the way that she kind of manipulates dolls that she is is kind of on the side of darkness here and that she's got a lot of control. Mm-hmm. Um so Margot is the one who deals with the sparrow. Here's a here's the line. The, the sparrow's in the house. Uh Margot is this is this 7-year-old pike girl. Right. Uh go ahead little birdie. Margot coaxes the sparrow. Then, suddenly, feeling brave, or maybe bossy, she raised her hands in the air and ran toward a window, waving and screaming, Get out of here, bird! The sparrow flew ahead of her and went right out the window. Margot, who has power over dolls, as was established last time we talked about this, also has power over the creatures of the air. Right. And this creature in particular was sent we think to protect these girls that's like it's the little things it's the mustard seed it's the little sparrow it's these tiny little signs that margo just snuffed it out yeah and i want to like lean in a little bit to what i'm talking about like i'm not just pulling this faith stuff out of nowhere like the mustard seed is one thing the way that it ends is marianne is talking about um how the the mustard seed is a symbol of faith is what allows her to continue. Like, at, right at the end of the book, they resolve the mystery, except they don't know, like, they re- figure out where the, uh, like, what Koki and Grace were up to, uh-huh. but they don't know where the chain letter came from. Though No one seems to give a shit, right? But Marianne, as the, in the last scene in the book, drops a mirror, and everyone's like, oh, fuck, that's seven years bad luck. Right. And she says, she literally says, like, I, I have changed my mind about bad luck. It's like the last line of the book. Because I have faith, I know that we're going to be okay. Right. It's such a pow- it's such a powerful ending. And it and I mean it ends like it ends with a question mark, right? And I was talking about the intertextuality between this book and Claudia and the Phantom Phone Calls. And if you'll remember Claudia and the Phantom Phone Calls in that book, they figure out that the, the, the person who's calling them up right, and Alan, doing deep Alan breathing Gray. is Alan Gray, Christi, like the guy who has a crush on Christie. But school. the original but phantom the, phone calling crimes remain he's still unsolved. At large. He's still at large yeah. today. Yeah. Like he's still walking around in Connecticut. That dude who called up people and like stole their jewels and like – like that, that phantom phone caller is like as far as we know walking around on Fulton Street right now. Ugh, maybe it's one of us. Ugh. Jesus.
And now, a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Um, a dilly dilly, my lord. <laughs> oh, hey, it's Evil Jack here. I was just workshopping some of the most evil ways to start an ad spot. Evil Tanner couldn't make it today because he's busy trying to break his previous record for how many people he can tell that they should smile more in a 24-hour period. I just wanted to give you an update on our uh, evil company, BetterHelp, uh, where we help evil betters to um, make small, lucrative bets on extremely wicked outcomes. Uh, like, for instance, I bet that I can accidentally put my own bag on the weighing area of your self-checkout at the grocery store so you have to call someone over to make the machine work again. Well, basically, since you asked, it's going uh, pretty badly um, because apparently the name of our company sounds too much like the name of our sponsor, BetterHelp. See, it's pronounced completely differently. They're online therapy that will uh, pair you with a licensed therapist in no time at all. Um, and in addition to not even really sounding the same as our evil company, BetterHelp is easy to use, it's entirely online, and they are super flexible, so it's no problem to fit them into your own schedule, which is completely the opposite of how we do it. Anyway, everyone's saying that we shouldn't use the name, which causes me grief, anxiety, self-esteem, and LGBT matters. And to make matters worse, um, I can't even get therapy for this stuff because I don't believe that men need therapy because I'm evil. If you're ready uh, to give online therapy a try, though, all you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Bedfellows today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Bedfellows. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Wow, this has been a real lore-heavy episode, uh, Baby Nation. Yeah, if this is if you're just tuning in for if, the first time, you're like, oh, I heard some good things about this Babysitters Club podcast. I'll, I guess I'll just listen to the most recent one, and yeah. you're kind of diving in here. Like, yeah. tap yeah. those brakes. Go ahead and go open your iTunes right now. Go back. I'd maybe start from the beginning. I mean, start take, from the beginning if you want, but like, yeah, take the journey. This take is the not journey. And I'll tell you something, man. If you take this journey with us, like all those feelings of skepticism you have right now, where you're like, I read these books as a kid. Yeah. Like, I don't remember all this, like the witches and dolls and ghosts. no, it's all there. It's all there. It's all there, and we will take you there. We will take you. We will take you there, book by book. Uh, so we gotta we gotta find something here that is actually going to be entertaining and not just us. All right. Spouting 
Well, do you want to talk about the Wheel of Fortune? The Robert Jordan series no. uh, fantasy novels. No, that's the, the Wheel, Wheel of, of time. time. What did you say? The Wheel of Fortune. Oh, the um, hit TV afternoon game show starring Pat Sajak. No, I'm obviously talking about the Rota Fortunae. Uh, the wheel of that fortune, means the round fortune, means the wheel of fortune that appears in Boethius's sixth century consolation of philosophy. Do you not know this? Have you not read this? Boethius. 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 He's a sixth century theologian. Okay. Uh, and he, I think that 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 like it, like it, it's obvious to me that that is something that is a big part of what this book is about okay. like what the wheel of fortune is a very famous like it started like wheel of fortune no that's not where that comes from yeah. i mean it is where it comes from yeah. that is where it comes from okay but the like the origin is probably before boethius but boethius kind of made it famous in the 6th century like an r pat fortune is a blind like a, goddess uh, consonant uh, r no, that's a. I, everybody R's. knows the game show. I'm not talking about the game show. I'm talking about. I'm talking about Boethius. Yeah. This is how often like do you get to solve to, the puzzle. How often in your daily life do you get to talk is about Boethius? Boethius? I'll tell you the answer for myself. Not often, and I was excited. Explain what the wheel of fortune is. Just get on with it. The wheel of fortune is a wheel that is controlled by the blind goddess Fortune. Uh huh. And at the I top of justice it, was blind. Yeah, Justice is blind, too. Are they friends? Yeah, they, like, they are often associated together. Okay. But what Fortune does is she, she'll stick the she'll stick you right up at the top, and you're having a nice old time. Yeah. Everything's going well. She favors the bold. And then she turn no, but then she'll turn that wheel, and through no, like, nothing that you can do, you're suddenly on the bottom, and your life is falling apart. What's the point of living, then? That's the fucking question. That's exactly the question. And if you want the answer, I highly recommend you read The Consolation of Philosophy. Oh, my God. Here's something I can promise you. I am never, ever, <laughs> ever in my life going to read The Consolation of Philosophy by Boethius. It's really short. Sixth century. It's really short. And I'll tell you something else. Uh, Theus. I'll tell you something else before. Like, hopefully I get to my point, which is not a very very like robust one. Uh-huh. Um, it's in medieval Latin, which is way easier to read. If you have just basic Latin, you have be... like Chaucer stuff. No, no. Chaucer is middle English. Okay. But Me- medieval Latin is, is a kind of Latin that, that is a lot simpler and is written like the word order is very, very much like English. Okay. Still a totally foreign language. And you're, you're asking me to pick up this book. You can read it in a translation. Anyway, listen, I kind of assumed that this was going to pop into your head as well. Because it's like this book like has these two strands, which is faith, which is the strand that pulls you through. But it's also about the vicissitudes of fortune. It's also about this sort of like this Boethian wheel, right? Like another example is that like it's the the Halloween hop has come around again, right? They're about yeah. to the girls are about to go to the Halloween hop. Yeah. Well, the time is a wheel, right? Time it's like the flat circle. No. Well, yes, but let's not mix our metaphors. Yeah. Like time has come around again and the the babysitters are in a predicament again and like their fortunes were up and now they're down and the question that Boethius asks that I think is also the question that is posed by this book is do we have any control over our bad luck? Does Marianne have any control over her bad luck mystery? Is she like she was on top of the wheel of fortune last week? 
now she's now now the wheel got turned and she's on the bottom. Is that something that she has anything like? Is that something she can do anything about? You know who answers that question? Boethius. Boethius. Uh, but for Baby Nation, if you haven't read it, I'm not going to spoil it. Boethius has the answer to that question. What is Consolation it? of philosophy. Spoil it. I'm not going to read it. I don't read Middle English. Read the book for more details. I'm not going to get into it more oh. on this podcast, which is about the Babysitters Club. Which is the, um, I'm going to cut you off right now because I know what you're about to ask. I didn't have either. You didn't, wait, hang on. Let me ask the question at least. All right, why don't you ask me? You want to ask me the question? Yeah, Jack. Yes, Tanner. Did you have mm-hmm. this week mm-hmm. a bird of the week? That felt pretty good. Yeah. Did you have one? Yeah, I fucking did, man. I didn't capture one. I'm surprised. I'll tell you something. I wrote down this burn of the week. And while it, when I wrote it down, I was like, oh, man, this is a bummer because Tanner's going to have the same one because it's such a hot burn. Allow me to elaborate. Dave and Michael and Karen. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. You got it? Yeah, for some reason it didn't register as a burn of the week for me, though. Wow, crazy to me. Okay, well, allow me to tell the Baby Nation, who I, I imagine some of them didn't read this book. What? <laughs> not, not this. They didn't read it just recently like us. Oh. Dave and Michael and Karen Brewer. Christie's stepbrother and sister are walking along. It's Halloween. They're trick-or-treating. Karen Brewer is dressed as a witch. Yep. David Michael says, hey, Karen, aren't you going to put your mask on? It is on, Karen said witheringly from behind her warty, grayish, pointy-nosed mask. Oh, I couldn't tell, said David Michael. He doubled over laughing, as did I. Yeah, pretty good. That's a fucking hot burn. Yeah. I feel like David Michael has really um, kind of – Come into his own yeah. in the last few He's a real winner. And like going up against Karen Brewer is a tough thing to do. That's, uh, so the, our, our second segment, we're, we're rolling through segments in the moment. Our second segment that we do uh, weekly is, is called The Tearful Moment. Neither of us had one. Neither of us had one. This, this is, is not, not a sad book. This is not a sad book. It's a terrifying book. Here's my tearful moment. Okay. Considering my own existence and whether or not anything matters and whether or not we're all set on predetermined courses and whether or not there's a God and whether or not he's keeping an eye on me. Yeah, that's a good tearful moment. Let me make it a little more tearful. Let me tell you a little bit, just real quick, real fucking quick, about the circumstances under which Boethius wrote The Consolation of Philosophy. Why don't you just go start a fucking Boethius podcast <laughs> with your love goddamn that. nerd friend? I would love that <laughs> so much. Let, but real quick, Boethius was like hot shit in politics of his time. Everybody loved him. He was like favorite of the of the emperor, and everybody was like, everyone was like, oh, what's what's Boethius up to? Boethius is cool. He's like a cool fucking philosopher. And then he fell out of favor. Right. And got thrown in, like, so he was this, like, rich-ass dude, got, fell out of favor, got thrown in the darkest dungeon. Yeah. And they were like, we're going to execute you in three days. And, like, they, like, hung him from a wall. That's when he wrote The Consolation of Philosophy. Just, like, like, dictated it? He's like, I got three days. Well, he had one, let's say he had one hand free. I don't know the exact circumstances. (laughs) That's when he wrote The Consolation of Philosophy, which is this nice book where he's like, hey, it's cool. Fortune, sometimes fortune puts puts you in a good place. Sometimes it puts you in a bad place. But if you have faith... 
faith is like a mustard seed. Yeah. And it's it seems like a small thing, but it's going to grow into the biggest damn tree you ever saw. And uh, much like Marianne's bad luck mystery, you know, it's sad, but it's also like there's there's hope there. I'm worried there's not. Yeah. I'm worried there's not, man. Let's run through our other ones. Do you have a great American novel of the week? Uh, does sixth century no it doesn't british philosopher i don't think so philosopher um, boethius you got any other notes um yeah i got a couple at some point uh logan and marianne are, are dressed in this like they dress as cats but from the hit musical cats from the hit musical cats right logan's mom is driving them and like she's acting weird yeah and they're like logan's like mom what's what's the problem are you are you do you not like what's happening and she she says no you two look wonderful it's just that i've never driven anywhere with cat people in the back seat oh my god are you saying cat people are another part of like another faction well what i think is that it's weird that like obviously she has driven somewhere with cat people in the front seat You know what I'm saying? You're, you think it's a semant- like a semantic issue? Yeah, she's saying I've never driven anywhere with cat people in the backseat. Yeah, not used to that. But that's such a weird thing to say. It's like, when are you driving cat people around, Mrs. Fucking Bruno? Right. Well, back in Louisiana or Kentucky. Yeah. Louisville. The cat people have already taken Louisville. <laughs> that's why they fled. These are refugees. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Um. That was just a little note. Oh, here's another one. Marianne has this dream that she's fallen off a mountain early on. Uh-huh. She dreams she's climbing a mountain and she fell off. Yeah, she was really falling out of uh, her bed. Yeah, she's actually falling out of the bed. Right. I looked up in Artemidorus, who is the Greek writer uh, about dreams, one of the first extant pieces of writing about dream interpretation. Uh-huh. Why didn't you look in Freud? He's the most popular dream interpreter. Oh, I should have looked in Freud. For some reason, Artemidor. No, no, let's not do this segment. Tanner Googles. Tanner Googles while Jack is annoyed. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Let's just have a conversation without a really great segment with a perfect theme song. I feel like I... Tanner Googles. Tanner Googles. Here's the utility of Tanner Googles. It's your favorite segment. Tanner Googles. You can't stop it. It just happens. Just let it happen. It's frustrating because... Tanner will always google there's your fucking faith there's your bedrock wow that was set that was set that's your mustard seed tanner will always google that's your faith that's your bedrock jack and what's frustrating here's when the thing feeling when your faith is shaken just think <laughs> it's it's the dark night of the soul you're losing faith wow you're you're worried about your own fate and fortune yeah and you just think no Tanner Google. Somewhere out there, Tanner's beneath the it. pale moonlight, <laughs> Tanner's Googling. T- Tanner's Googling it. Can, while you fucking Google this, you son of a bitch, can I at least tell you like the one word thing that Artemidorus says that mountains signify if you dream about a mountain like Marianne does at the beginning of this book? May yes. I? Yes. May I? Yes. Fear. Fear is what a mountain signifies? Mountains. I'm sorry. Mountains are like rock solid like eternal structures on this earth. I'm not the fucking dream analyst here. Dreaming about a mountain as early as, well, fuck, I'm going to say the second century, is a symbol of fear. And that's what this book is in many ways about. You want to know what Freud says? What what does Freud say? Is it sexual? (laughs) We've already spoken of natural scenery as a representation of the female genitals. (laughs) Mountains and cliffs are symbols of the male organ. 
and the garden of frequent symbol of female genitals. Well, that's fucking perfect, and that makes so much sense because ultimately, in the Martin verse, in the Sitter verse, <laughs> when evil comes into play, God, when the- Freud, you you like you fucked me. I was trying to prove a point, and you fucked me, no, Freud, with your god. It's exactly always about fucking right. No genitals and sex. Listen with to me, you, you're Freud. exactly fucking right. When the girls are threatened, when the babysitters are threatened in these books, and stop googling now. Listen to me. Pay attention to me. Yeah. When the girls are threatened in these books, this is a fucking through line. What they are threatened by, what they are ultimately threatened by, what is the ultimate co- cause, the ultimate cause of all of the evil that they suffer, it's the fucking patriarchy. It's the men in their lives. It's the Logans. It's been that it's way the since fucking book one, absent, man. Like Christie's fucking absent father. It's Don's fucking Disneyland daddy. So Marianne dreams of climbing a mountain, falls off it. Is it a big surprise that the mountain is the fucking symbol of the male genitalia that has done literally nothing for her except put her on this green earth and then just leave her behind? Right. No. And you know what happens right after she dreams of falling off the mountain? She's the hero of this novel. Yeah. She she reclaims her own like fate. Yeah. And her own predestination. It's an she... incredible act of bravery. Yeah. And faith. Yeah. And faith. You're right. And that Which happens right after she dreams of tearing down the patriarchy. Yeah. It's good stuff. Ugh. It's powerful stuff. I can't wait to have Anna Martin on. Oh man, she's gonna be I'm just gonna confront her with it's gonna be a torrent. That's gonna be the first thing. Um all the talk we just had of the patriarchy, Jack, yeah, reminds me of a passage in this book. Mm-hmm. Two babysitters, Claudia and Mallory, are over at the Pikes' house, taking care of all eight children. As you know, anytime the Pikes need a babysitter, they need two babysitters because there are eight Pike children. Right. Mr. and Mrs. Pike are out late. Mm-hmm. Um, the girls come over right at dinner time, mm-hmm. and dinner is already on the oven. Mm-hmm. What dinner is tonight is, quote, a batch of some sort of casserole with hot dog pieces in it. Claudia thought it looked revolting, so she personally wasn't too upset about what happened a few minutes later. But the Pikes, even Mallory, were. Apparently, this dish is special to them. They call it Daddy Stew. Mm-hmm. Daddy Stew. I wrote that down as well. And in the context of what you were talking about, it's fucking perfect. Like, this is a book, as we just established, about these girls kind of taking on the patriarchy. Uh-huh. And what better symbolism for that than they get together and they burn the daddy stew. Yeah. They ritualistically burn the daddy stew. Yeah, moments like, later, the daddy stew yeah. becomes burnt. And they got to throw it out. They just throw it out. They throw it out, but you know what? They still have dinner. Yeah. They still have dinner. They don't need daddy. No, they don't need daddy. They don't fucking need daddy. They make their own way. Yeah. They make their own way. Why? Because they have faith. It starts off like a little mustard seed, grows into a tree. This is a beautiful book. Beautiful book. Uh, what a winner. Baby Nation, there was a lot of darkness in this book. There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of, a lot of evil intent. There was a lot of abuse by the patriarchy. But we fucking came out the other side. We came out the other side. We started off with a little seed of hope. Yep. And that seed grew into a tree. Yep. And next week, we're going to be reading a book that is called Stacy's Mistake. Nope. No, Jack, you're mistaken. <laughs> I, Stacey, Stacey is no longer a POV character. Stacy doesn't exist in the Sitterverse anymore. Stacy is in charge of the New York branch of the Babysitters Club. This is a business that has bureaus all around the country. We're 
just try to stay just try to keep it together remember she's gonna talk about is she gonna talk about how much she loves new york oh god no fucking doubt right <sighs> that's literally all she, she's gonna be like my mistake is i only have two things about me i like new york and i have diabetes maybe claudio will visit new york Maybe the maybe the BSC will come and visit Stacy next week. Something we can look forward to. Oh, cool! They could do all the fun New York stuff. Yeah, yeah. They could go see Sleep No More. Yeah, oh, that would be cool. Yeah, yeah. They could walk across the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. However, I think it sounds like it's all gonna go wrong because Stacy's gonna fuck it up next week on the Babysitters Club. Read along with us. Stacy's mistake. As much as I'm not the biggest fan of Stacy, Stacy leaving is what tore this fucking club apart. So bringing her back, if we can, which I'm not promising, might be the beginning of starting to heal some of these wounds. Listen, it's been a pleasure talking to you this week. I have been Jack Shepard. I'm Tanner Greenring. Claudia's wearing a bra now. The way she talks, you think boys just been invented. In 86, NM Martin wrote the first book of what became a cult. Now it's time for Babysitter's Club Club. All right, what about this? Your bay sends you a playlist that's lit AF. Yeah. It's lit, lit as fire. Lit as fire. Lit lit a fire. Your bay lit a fire with that playlist. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, get in the car. Yeah. And don't forget the aux cord. Well, the aux cord's in the car. No, it's not. The aux input is in the car. If you didn't bring an aux cord, you're shit out of luck. Why would you take it out of the car in the first place? I don't know. What if it's a rental?